another episode of Panel Scanner. Uh, tonight we're going to be bringing in the Yuletide cheer with a little bit of movies associated with holidays. That's right, folks. We need you to go ahead and fire up that Yule Log channel. Pour yourself some uncooked pancake batter mixed with rum, better known as eggnog, and cozy up in your favorite holiday-themed snuggie. Tonight we're going to be picking our favorite holiday movies. Now, just as a precursor to this, we want to know that we're not going to be picking movies that necessarily have to have a holiday theme in them, but rather movies could also be things that you just simply feel the need to watch around the holiday season. We're going to pick three films that associate with the holiday season, and uh, we're going to provide a brief description of the reasoning for our choice. We're going to do a round-robin style. I'm going to start off, followed by Phil, then Gary, then Darren, and Mark, and then back to me. So getting us off the schnei here, going to go ahead and bring in an easy one for me, and that's Love Actually. All right, I know, I kind of checked out a little early for some of us here. You guys don't really care for Love Actually, I know, but no. no. I love it's it. Rom- <laughs> it's a rom-com. I was wondering, I could feel it over there, Mark. Uh, but yeah, it's a rom-com here, um, and uh, it's definitely something that my wife and I can absolutely fall in love with and we can easily watch together. Um, and that's uh, one of the uh, one of the films that we seem to always bond in around the holiday season. All right, next up is Phil. Phil, how are we doing tonight? Uh, you know, I'm I'm doing okay. I'm trying to fight the good fight. Speaking of fighting the good fight, my first honorable mention is Home Alone, <laughs> fighting off the the good old um, wet bandits. It's just I, I I have fond memories of watching it growing up more so than anything. Um, and I revisited it last year, and man, those guys should have been killed. Like, killed. There's no reason anybody should have survived, and that child probably would have been in, like, juvie for some of the stuff they came up with. But man, man oh man. Yeah, Gary. How do you feel about the new one that they're uh, pushing right now? I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm nervous, to be honest. I is. Mm, mm. Like stop I know nothing about it other than the the one commercial I've seen. It's it's the kid from Jojo Rabbit as a. So is this a traditional reboot or is this a continuation? Uh, I don't know. Macaulay sure. going to show up as in a cameo? He I is mean, not uh, in it. He is set. a Home oh. Alone universe where it's just a bunch of forgetful, negligent parents that just leave their kids behind. Is that like a is that a thing? Is that a universe we exist in? I mean, yeah. is this worth the cell phones? It's called life, Matt. <laughs> are, they, are they leaving that kid alone? There's a pandemic out there. I like so, how yes, Gary. I like how Gary always asks us questions as if we are the producers of these projects. <laughs> you guys research more than I do. That's all I'm saying. I don't think that's true at all. I did zero research for holiday movies. I was like, closed my eyes, and I was like, Home Alone, and two more. <laughs> so, so oh, just admit it. It's going to be Home Alone two and Home Alone three. Dang. Hey, spoilers! <laughs> <laughs> All right, so so my, my my first was was Home Alone. Gary's whose voice we definitely already heard. What is uh? How are you? Where 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 are you starting us off with on this? Well, I, I'm glad we cut this back down to three because I was having difficulty with it. Um, I'm not traditionally the you know TV type person, but if I'm going to sit back and enjoy myself a Christmas movie. It's going to be the Muppet Christmas Carol. You put the Muppet anything in front of a movie, and I will watch it repeatedly. Muppet Treasure Island, love it. 
All right. So, yeah, that's it. Muppet Christmas Carol is my number three. Um, the movies around the holidays that I will watch voluntarily. Side note, I got the Muppet Treasure Island from a box of cereal. Just a random, you know? random piece of information. Just thought I should throw it out there. Tim Curry helps that, but yes. Billy Connolly, too. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. After me, I believe we have... Aaron. Yeah. Aaron. We're going one at a time. Is that what's happening? I was dealing with yes. some yes. issues here. Okay. We got three. Yeah. All right. So uh, my number three is, are, is or are the Star Trek films. Um, I associate with these with the holidays because, first of all, many of the films uh, in my childhood were released around the holidays, and my dad and I would always go to see them together. Now, it just that's just what it was. It seemed like every holiday year one of those movies was coming out and we'd go my dad would take me to see it and then the 90s for about a six-year period in theaters around the holidays the years alternated between a new star trek film and a new james bond film more on that soon outstanding and then bringing up the end here is mark hey guys good evening uh i'm gonna say that my runner-up here, I'm going to give that my wife and I got into the more common nowadays, but we've constantly done the watching non-cheery holiday Christmas movies that just happen to have a mildly holiday theme. And so every year we rotate through a few favorites of those, like Lethal Weapon, Die Hard, Gremlins. Uh, we've added Krampus to the list recently. <laughs> just, you know, we like to find one of those choices and just rotate through them every year. Santa's sleigh starring Bill Goldberg. <laughs> Never seen it. <laughs> Santa shark. Never seen it. I think like Santa shark, isn't it? The shark. Santa shark. Oh my! Is awesome. I thought I needed to bring Santa shark back up. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, round two. All right, I'm I'm walking on some well worn territory here, and I'm also bringing up Home Alone, the first one. Uh, and so much like Phil, this brings up um, some warm feelings and, and warm memories of sitting in a theater with both my parents and my little brother and little sister and watching this and laughing our heads off. Uh, then my wife and I, a few years ago, uh, before we had kids, actually purchased it on DVD again. Um, and uh, we watched it as adults. And it, you know, definitely a few more questions uh, about the, the nature of the film as adults. But then uh, what's really cool is our boys have hit the point where they now can at least laugh at all the funny gags and stuff like that. Our six-year-old absolutely loves it and wants, you know, we'll request it as we get closer to the holidays. So now we get to have that experience that our parents had with us when we were sitting in the theater watching it for the first time. We get to have that experience through our kids' eyes, and it's, it's actually made that film that much better. So much like Phil, I'm bringing up the Home Alone. Uh, next up is Phil. Yeah, so uh, my second is uh, my holiday arc movie uh kind of fits in wherever i want during this time frame which is a nightmare before christmas um i i honestly jump between two tim burton films here either batman returns because i like torturing myself a little bit and uh a nightmare before christmas which it just fits a little bit better and i have a very very warm spot in my heart for it um i don't know if i necessarily love it as much now as i did but it which is why it's in the middle because it was it was the first thing that came to mind when i saw this on the rundown but uh, it, it's still it's still a good watch 
So my second is definitely a nightmare before Christmas. Gary? Well, um, I discovered this one a few years back. It is called Santa versus the Snowman. It is a CGI show. Um, brief rundown. Basically, it's a lonely snowman in the North Pole wanders, comes across Santa's workshop, uh, takes a toy, alarms go off. Um, if you are a fan of Star Wars, there are a crap load of sight gags in this movie for you. Um, it turns into an all-out two-sided war. Um, elves on reindeer, uh, igloo tanks, at-ats. I mean, it's it's amazing. It, it's, it's a short watch, probably less than a half an hour if you take the commercials out. But again, it is one of those movies that I will watch voluntarily around the holidays. Santa versus the Snowman is my number two. Darren? How about you? My number two, I teased too originally. It's the James Bond films, mainly due to the sadly now defunct Turner Network 007 Days of Christmas. It pretty much how I saw most of the James Bond movies at that time that preceded Goldeneye. I think I've seen most of them in theaters ever since then. Um, but I, I mean, I would just put those on be, because I didn't really watch a lot of holiday movies with the exception of two, which I'll mention here in a minute. Um, but it was just cool to just like just toss one of those on. As I think Mark and I just completed our James Bond specials uh, the last month. And I think we both agreed while we're, we're fans of the uh, James Bond films, they don't really ask a whole lot of you, especially that Roger Moore era. You could just toss one of those on at any point in the movie and you're fine. Um, so I, it was fun to just like wake up in the morning like, all right, I'll just toss one of these on. Oh, the man with the golden gun, huh? Okay, cool. I'm good. I'm good for the next next forty minutes or so. Uh, and they don't do that anymore. I, I know a lot of people have taken to doing their own 007 Days of Christmas when the Pluto network or app had all of the movies. Uh, but now they are all pretty much uh, behind paywalls. So that is unfortunate. All right. Well, my uh, next runner-up is actually two of the same it's a toss-up always between the muppet christmas carol and mickey's christmas carol both are riffs on the same thing charles dickens but on one hand i've got michael Caine and muppets and on the other you pull at my heartstrings because you've got the final film performance of clarence nash as the original voice of donald duck which as i've mentioned before is my all-time favorite so uh, gotta watch one of those two during the holidays. My wife would argue it should be How the Grinch Stole Christmas, but no, I want my Muppets and I want my Disney characters. Mm-hmm. Well said, well said. All right, we're into the final round. In theory, this should be the one that we look forward to the most. And uh, much like Darren cheating by saying just Star Trek in general, I'm going to cheat here and I'm going to say Lord of the Rings trilogy. I don't know what it is about that movie for some reason, every single time during this point of the year, I always start having this itch to watch that entire series again. And I've got the extended version like a lot of other folks, but that means that those films are lasting upwards to around almost four hours apiece, which means that you're looking at approximately 11 to 12 hours worth of cinema. And uh, I thought I was the only one who had this feeling. And I was, you know, until I saw, I believe it was about 
seven or eight years ago on Twitter, Kamel Nanjiani mentioning that he's time for his annual watching of Lord of the Rings and that he does so between Christmas and New Year's. And that's about the time frame that I start to feel it too. Uh, go ahead. And then I realized that all of those films were released, I think, in the second or third week of December and when they were released in 2001, 2, and 3, respectively. So I'm going to go ahead and say that my top holiday pick is nothing to do with Christmas whatsoever. In fact, it exists in a fictional universe entirely, and that would be Lord of the Rings, the trilogy. It has elves. Sure. Yeah, sure. there we are. Yep. Wood elves. <laughs> Just like Santa had. Well done, Gary. <laughs> Bill. Yeah, so um, mine was actually mentioned in passing by Mark a little bit earlier, uh, being a Christmas adjacent film, which is Gremlins. Man, I love Gremlins. Just it, it borderline horror, but not really goofy enough that like kids can enjoy it, but still be terrified and have nightmares. How cute the Mogwai is, and how ugly the Gremlins are, and just so much about it. And it just, I, every, every, especially now that it's on streaming stuff. Um, I actually realized that I hadn't seen Gremlins 2 in forever. And I know it does not hold up as well, but that is getting added to the mix. But the original Gremlins and that theme song as well will uh, just brings a smile to my face around the holiday season. Gary? If we have what could be mistaken as a tradition in my family around christmas as far as tv viewing goes in 1987 directed by will vinton will vinton's claymation christmas came oh. out um good the, the finale of, of this particular show wow. was the california Rovers. um it is hosted by two claymation dinosaurs who have a running gag about what uh, wassailing is. Um, they do a caroling of the bells, where Maestro Quasimoto, and all of the bells are personified. You know, they've got mallets smacking themselves in the head. Um, dancing, ice dancing hippos. Um, to this day, I cannot sing We Three Kings in church the correct way because of this show. It, they have a jazzed up version where the camels are, you know, singing in harmony, and it's it's just my dad and I will lock eyes and we will bidoo bidoo each other in church every year. So, Will Vinton's claymation Christmas is guaranteed to be played at least once in the holiday season. We had it on beta because we recorded it off a of TV. We eventually got it transferred. And no one has thought about actually buying a professional copy of this. So we have to dig out a VCR every year we want to watch this thing. That makes it all <laughs> say, How do you watch it? I remember that thing. I don't know where to get my hands on it. Yeah, seriously, uh, I know that we taped it off television, too. And I remember we used to pop that in the VHS. That was so good. I think we even watched it outside of Christmas time. Yeah, that taught me what, what sailing means. <laughs> <laughs> I particularly like here we come a waffling. <laughs> that was always good. Yes. Yes. Boy, that thing got real trippy for a bit oh, though, too. There was a sequence. Oh, yeah, the, it was really a joy to the world. Trippy. Got a little uh, psychedelic. Yeah, it's a, I I have it on DVD. I found it on Amazon a few years ago, um, and I, I love that thing. I love it too, Gary. It's it's something I watch every year. 
Uh, a couple of the Christmas movies I do watch before I get to my pick, or my number one, it, are Muppet Christmas Carol is my favorite Christmas movie. There isn't even a close second. If there were, it would be Nightmare Before Christmas. Of course, the debate exists if that is a Christmas movie or a Halloween movie. You know what I used to do? I used to watch it at Thanksgiving. I split the difference. Um, I, for me, and Matt, I'm, I'm kind of with you on the Lord of the Rings thing because... They were released in December, and they were released in December for consecutive, for three years, three straight years, right? So, I mean, you're driving around, you're excited to see Lord of the Rings, and then there are all the Christmas lights and all that, so it's, it's hard not to associate it with Christmas. In fact, I, too, associate that with Christmas, where, like, I don't think I could watch it in the middle of the summer. It just doesn't make any, it just doesn't feel right to me. Um, but this next one, I pretty much watch whenever I feel like it. And it is Star Wars, specifically the Star Wars original trilogy. I know they were originally released in May uh, of the first original trilogy, as was the sequel trilogy. Or, excuse me, the prequel trilogy. The sequel trilogy was released around Christmas time, which I always found kind of fun. But the original trilogy for me, it really doesn't have a whole lot to do with the movies, because I can watch those movies in the summer. I can watch them in the fall. I can watch them in the spring. But... I associate them with Christmas so much because for at least seven years of my childhood, which for as a kid is an eternity, I woke up on Christmas morning hoping to find all manner of Star Wars artifacts under my tree. Kenner Star Wars action figures are as much important to me as the original trilogy itself. In fact, I feel very confident to say that without those little artifacts of joy, my Star Wars fandom would be nowhere close to what I have experienced throughout my life. Truly, oh, because my son is, you know, he, he digs toys now a lot, and I'm so steering into that right now. I'm not going to miss a second of that. But honestly, I really wasn't in pursuit of anything uh, in terms of memorabilia-wise, except Kenner Star Wars. Um, and it's because just the feeling I got, I'll never forget Christmas 1980 when that Millennium Falcon, I opened that thing under my Christmas tree, and I, I, I was blown away that I had that thing. And I was blown away at how large it was. Um, and I was blown away by the amazing sound effects, which truly sound like a droid farting right now but back then you couldn't have told me any different it, that, that thing was basically I, I still don't know when that sound effects i don't know what it was supposed to be blaster fire an alarm I, I and i didn't care man i ran around that house setting that thing off like it was my job to set that thing off and i remember the death star and i remember one christmas in 1990 you know long after the series had ended long after um, I had, you know, I still had all my Star Wars toys and I wasn't going to get rid of them, but they were packed away. My grandmother, when we went to visit her in Texas, she had hit up a, a garage sale and they sold their entire Star Wars collection and she got that for me. She goes, I know you're not really into toys anymore, but I kind of figured you'd want this. And it was like, what, still, a box, of a massive box of Kenner Star Wars. The AT-AT was in there, Jabba was in there, and I didn't have those. Um, and I was like, oh my God. And that sort of reignited the Star Wars flame for me. Which, keep in mind, during that time, Star Wars was completely dead. After the movie, uh, Return of the Jedi, the comics sort of limp along for a couple of years. 
For more on that, check out our Star Wars specials 1, 2, and 3, in which I forced Matt to endure a review of the Marvel Star Wars comics, and I also endured Phil to, uh, made Phil endure that as well. I read those, so you don't have to. Um, but at that time, there was no Star Wars. That was it. It was dead. There was no games. There weren't any books yet. There were no comics. Nothing. And then I just sort of like, from whatever that that moment, it reignited my love of Star Wars, and it's been there ever since. So I think right around now, I always think Star Wars. And in that period between Halloween and before you start Christmas music, you usually listen to Star Wars music. All right, well, mine's going to be a little more classic Christmas movie. Uh, one that my wife and I have to watch every Christmas. It's one of our favorites to sit down and do. And I am talking about in 1954 from Michael Curtis, five-time Academy Award nominee, two-time winner, once for the legendary Casablanca and music by music legend Irving Berlin, 1954's White Christmas, starring Bing Crosby and Danny Kaye. That is one of my all-time favorite holiday movies because even today, the snappy, witty, back-and-forth dialogue in that movie holds up so well for me. Um, actually, it's kind of what I modeled some of the banter in the comic book I wrote off of. So <laughs> it's had a lasting impression on me over years and years. And uh, I just I have to watch that movie every year. I love it. I think last year we did not watch it because I was starting to feel a little burnt out, and that was making me terrified. <laughs> so uh, looking forward to getting back into it this year after a one-year hiatus. That's a great one, Mark. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. All right, moving on to the next section. Next section is going to be a one that folks who listen to panel scanners often should be familiar with. And we're talking about stick, stuck, pick, sayonara, or those in the know, SSPS. So we're going to go ahead and get things started off with Phil. Phil, what you sticking with? Yeah, so the sticks are the things we're just kind of, you know, hanging out with for now. Uh, this is a pretty mediated list. So Symbiote Spider-Man Crossroads, Miles Morales Spider-Man, X-Force, X-Men, Excalibur, Hellions, Sword, Black Cat. All Marvel titles, a lot of X-Men titles. Uh, Gary. All right. Okay, uh, my stick list. Uh, and keep in mind, I, a lot of these I've picked up but actually haven't read yet. So that's why they're only on the stick. Uh, a title called Basilisk. Uh, that's a Boom Studios book uh, that was written by uh, Colin Bunn. Jules Verne's Lighthouse image. Uh, Transformers Wreckers, IDW. Shattered Glass, another Transformers title, IDW. Deep Beyond has dropped from stuck to stick. Uh, it was a really cool concept, and once they got beyond the concept, it just really, it's, it's, it's getting kind of dull. Uh, Deathstroke Inc. by DC, my first DC book. Magic the Gathering by Boom Studios and Deadpool, Black, White, and Blood, uh, Marvel. I'm not sure how long that's going to run, so that's why it's not higher up. Five issues. That's how long it's going to last for? You said five yeah, issues? It'll be five issues. Awesome. Oh, five issues? Okay. Well, yeah, no sense putting it on the stuck list then. All right. All right. My stick is going to be a mixture of a novel, a movie, or a, rather a TV show, and a comic book series. So 
the book that I'm reading right now is called How to Survive in a Science Fictional Universe by Charles Yu. I'm sticking with it. I'm, I don't have a whole lot of time to sit and read, but so this is really kind of a Saturday morning activity that I've been taking. And it's an easy follow along book. I, I recommend it thus far. If you enjoyed kind of the tongue in cheek nature of Douglas Adams, I'm going to recommend this to you. It seems like a fairly quick read as well. For Stick, uh, my wife and I are sitting down and watching American Crime Story, The Impeachment. I don't know, that came out a little while back. I don't know if anybody else has been watching that as well. Um, but in this particular one, we're watching the, uh, the nostalgic story of when a president received... Uh, well, you guys know the story. Anyway, uh, comic books. We're talking no, no, about... I want to hear about it. Tell me. <laughs> are you sure? Well, you can go back to the Kenneth Starr, uh, the um, the booklet that they published. I think it was, what, 1,200 pages? No, I want you to tell me now. This cigar involved. Move on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there was a messed up dress. There was a dress that didn't survive. Um, and moving forward. Uh, we, Ooh, it did survive. Um, that was the problem. It, there you go. Uh, and then okay. so that last one is the comic book one is going to be uh, War of the Bounty Hunter. So I know I was previewing this quite a bit and I just need to sit down and actually take the time to, to really power through this thing because it is it is massive. I think I'm I counted and we're up to like 30 something comic books and it's, it's crossover. It's it's between Dr. Alpha, uh, Bounty Hunters, uh, Darth Vader, Star Wars and then the War of the Bounty Hunter itself. And it's just it's it's intense, um, but I just need to sit down power through it. I know it's going to be great. Uh, and we've already talked about it, so I'm not going to belabor exactly what it's about. But if you ever wanted to know what happened between Han Solo being put in carbonite when he gets it to Jabba's palace, that's what it is for you guys. So that's my stick list. Mark Wasn't that Shadows of the Empire? <laughs> Sorry, bringing up an old one there. Um, yeah, I don't have a lot. I don't really, uh, I haven't gotten back into comics yet. I'm trying to get there. It just hasn't quite hit it yet. So mm. I'm going to be going mostly with TV. And uh, my first one is uh, we start watching Shadow and Bone on Netflix. It's okay. Not sure how that's going to progress along, so it's in the stick list. Uh, Titans on HBO Max is there still because, uh, I don't know, it just hasn't turned me off. It hasn't turned me on. It's just kind of in the middle. And unfortunately, Season 3 of Young Justice didn't really do it for me, so it's relegated back to stick at the moment. And that's all I've got there. Oh, man. All right. And, uh... Darren had to step away, so I'm just going to roll right into our stucks. Uh, so stucks are things that we are like super digging, but not quite our favorite. Starting with Stranger Things, Tomb of Yblin. Don't know how to say it. Uh, starts with a Y. Y B E W N. What? More Stranger Things is always, always good. Um, second up is Primordial, something that my local comic shop was like. Hey, Phil, you reading Primordial? It's Jeff Lemire. I'm like, sold. Uh, about um, the animals that were sent to space ahead of humans and kind of like what actually happened to them. It's been really kind of cool. Uh, Stuck on Oblivion Song. Mentioned that earlier this month when I talked about the film. Uh, Daredevil. Still Chip Zdarsky's run uh, with Elektra. And now... Uh, Daredevil himself out fighting Bullseye. The Amazing Spider-Man weirdly was balanced close to going to my stick pile. Um, I'm not sure about the direction that it's going after uh, what occurred at the end of Nick Spencer's run. Uh, ben Riley is, is kind of the lead Spider-Man at the moment again instead of Peter, which is weird. Um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, IDW. 
I feel like that's lived on my stuck list for like two years. Uh, the trial of Magneto has been very interesting uh, following Magneto potentially supposedly killing his at one time daughter, the Scarlet Witch, uh, and kind of the fallout from that. There's a lot of weird stuff with Marvel at the moment that uh, a lot of the sorcerers are dying. Uh, New Mutants, which is one of the X books that has actually kept my attention throughout. They're still kind of battling the Shadow King and what he's doing on Krakoa. Inferno is another X-Men book that is the wrapping up of the Jonathan Hickman Krakoa run. Uh, this is his icing on the cake uh, where Destiny and Mystique are sliding in and uh, kind of messing things up a little bit. And uh, Wolverine is the last X book that is staying on the stuck list. It's been entertaining. I mentioned lots of uh, sorcerers dying off. The death of Doctor Strange has been very cool. Uh, he got killed by somebody and a past version of himself was saved in a pocket dimension to help out if he were to ever die. So there's still a Sorcerer Supreme. So it's been kind of cool. Uh, Robert Kirkman's Firepower, a Kung Fu book about a guy with firepower uh, and just kind of his whole living in the modern world and still keeping up with his Kung Fu and his place as like the chosen one. Um, the new Rick Remender book, A Righteous Thirst for Vengeance. I've only read the first issue and Reed is very loose to say i don't know gary if you checked it out too since you were reading some other remender stuff um it was mostly images about a guy who had a very unfortunate day and uh i think it's just going to get really violent um i actually did keep deadpool black white and blood on my list i'm enjoying the little shorts um i mean it, it feels fitting for deadpool um stuck on the scumbag which I will leave to Gary to talk about a little bit more. Stuck on Deadly Class, which is wrapping so close to being done, which is one of my favorite comics of all time. Uh, so once it's done, I need to convince some of you guys to read it. And lastly, uh, Scotty Young's Strange Academy, which is like a magic school that was originally run by Doctor Strange, obviously spinning out um, of... The death of Doctor Strange, it's going to be interesting. I got caught up on Strange Academy during a sale. Really? Yeah. I know, I know what your uh, your pick is then. Wow. Yeah. So um, okay. every time we do these lists, it makes me realize that I need to start dropping some books. Um, I will say at least half of those are miniseries, and Oblivion Song and Deadly Class are in their last like two to three issues. So uh, this list will shorten up, and I'll have a longer sayonara list next time. But that is right. my stuck list. Who always a mouthful, Gary? Right. Um, on my stuck list, uh, the Me You Love in the Dark Image Comics, King Grimlock. It's a Transformers book from IDW. Uh, Transformers Monthly Series, also from IDW, along with Canto Lionhearted, an IDW book. Moon Knight, Marvel, The Scumbag by Image, um, would have probably made it to my pick if they hadn't wiped out Ernie's team in the first, like, three pages. So fitting, come on. I I know, it, but I, I wanted more. I wanted more. 
Parasomnia, Dark Horse, uh, written by Colin Bunn, as well as an, uh, a title called Lucky Devil, uh, also written by Colin Bunn, uh, also a Dark Horse comic. It's about a, a guy who was possessed by a high-level demon, went for a budget exorcism. They kicked out the demon but left his powers. So, uh, that is, a, I believe that's a five-parter, and I think they're on issue three, maybe five. i got to pick up four yet, but it's a, it's a good read. It's a good read. Matt. All right. Mine's going to be, uh, I think either Darren or myself are um, ethically obligated to bring up Once in Future during uh, <laughs> Sticks Tuck Big Sayonara. I'm going to ask you. Point or another. So I'm just going to go ahead and say it here. Once in Future. Uh, I know Darren is getting these uh, each month, but I'm only doing them um, in the trade paperback version of it. So volume three now is what it's up to. I believe it's up to 19 issues. It comes from Boom Studios and comes from the mind of uh, Kieran Gillen. Um, but at any rate, that's just always going to be in either my stuck or my pick pile. Um, it's just it's an amazing retelling, uh, and it's real fun to play on some of the, the historical and some of the uh, saga-like tales that it brings up. And then uh, every single time it gets released, uh, this is a TV show, and it is just good, wholesome fun. It is stress-free. You get to see some of the nicest people possible, and there's no cash prize at the end. That's right. I'm talking about your favorite British baking show known as the British Bake Off. That is going to be the one show that is just like a nice, warm blanket in an otherwise cold and cynical world. Those are my stocks. Mark? All right, moving on to my stocks. I've got uh, Lock and Key on Netflix, which surprised the living crap out of me. That is good. Uh, based on the comic book by horror writer Joe Hill, who, if you're not aware, is the son of Stephen King. And, that was my next uh, question. The I'm going to have to... Yeah, I'm going to have to go and uh, pick up that comic because I'm really interested now to see the source material. Uh, also, Doom Patrol and HBO Max, uh, Harley Quinn animated series, hoping for another season of that, looking forward to it. Also on HBO Max is Dark Materials, HBO Max. And for something completely different, Cartoon Network, Mau Mau, Heroes of Pure Heart. One of the weirdest, funniest cartoons I've watched in a long time. Highly recommend it. I've not heard of that. Check it out. You will thank me for it. It's, it's actually on HBO Max if you have that. They have all the episodes. Yeah, Cartoon we, we Network's do. a little truncated. What's it called? Mau Mau? Mau Mau. M-A-O. Okay. Uh, the creator, Parker Simmons, won an Emmy for his portrayal of the lead character, and it's just, it's fantastic. Mau Mau. It's, I can't even Probably describe it. it. It's one of those shows that will appeal to adults and kids alike for various reasons, and there's a lot of jokes that are going to fly over kids' heads. Oh, I love those. You said you said it's M-A-U? M-A-O. M-A-O. I was going to say. M-A-O, M-A-O. M-A-U is different than a very different thing. I will uh, <laughs> I will look into that. Yeah, check it out. It's like a little samurai cat thing. Yes. He's a ninja cat hero. All right, all right. <laughs> All right, moving on then, I guess. Uh, now that Mau Mau is on my screen forever. <laughs> that thing is adorable. Okay. My, <clears throat> the best for me this month. Gary already knows what it is. Um, we've actually talked about this a little bit in text. Scotty Young's The Me You Love in the Dark. So I, we haven't had the opportunity to talk about this on the show because it's a limited series. It's going to be five issues. Um, I think four comes out this month still. Um, 
Oh, I thought this. you had four already. I'm just behind. Did I read four? Maybe I did read four. Maybe five. I, I, I read the first three, and I was saying, I think I know where this is going, and then you said it took a turn, so I'm mm-hmm. guessing you're one ahead of Definitely not what you think. Um, so the general premise of the show is a, uh, a girl who is an artist uh, moves into what she assumes will be a haunted house to get some ideas to be a to for her next art show um she's battling with depression and a lot of other things and it ends up of course the house is actually haunted but the weird twist to it is that the haunted the thing the thing and doing the haunting as we get these really cool images of teeth and eyes everywhere um they build almost a relationship that they do build a relationship that goes down a dark path um i think ultimately there's going to be overtones of like being in an abusive relationship and it's like very compelling um this is the same uh duo that did middle west that i'd spoken about and absolutely loved um and i think they that (laughs) they just like to tackle these things of trauma and um gary had a had a obvious twist in mind of what would occur and um the last issue that i have read which is issue four you're correct uh goes darker we can talk about it gary uh okay i mean i'm gonna pick it up eventually but yeah it's it's so good um i absolutely love it so again that is the me you love in the dark it's an image book I mean, that's what we were talking about uh, in our previous Mm. episode that has gone into, I think it's fourth printing from Image because it's so popular and it's just... Yeah. Actually, I'm I'm glad I got that on my pull list because I was just thinking if if I'm too far behind, I might not be able to get it, but they're holding it for me. So so good and well worth a read. So check that out. Like, now. Uh, Sorry. And and it's a quick read, too. Yeah. The artist is Jorge Corona. Um, Again, they did Middle West, which again I would I would recommend reading Middle West as well. But this is their newest I masterpiece, maybe. We'll see how it ends. So mm. for me, you love in the dark. Gary? Yeah, at that uh, end, end of issue three where I was kind of forecasting, I got a kind of queasy sense in my stomach. So it's, it's, it's one of the first books in a long time that has actually like manifested itself physically, you know, reaction wise. You might have moved to um, if you read issue four, honestly, Gary. Like, all right. Well, right now, my pick, and this is uh, I don't know, probably two months running now. Uh, Noctera by Image. Um, this series is only you know a handful of issues in. Um, and, and as was explained last time, they kind of you know lemony snicketed. You know, you you get a character and you get attached, and then they. Uh, eliminate that character in some like horrific way only to be saved by another character that you get attached to that they then eliminate in some horrific way. Um, it has a very intriguing villain and although you still don't know much about his backstory, uh, recent issue, you now find out his motivations and, uh, where a lot of books I've been reading, you know, by this point have kind of, you know, run through their, gauntlet of surprises uh this one is just now starting to pick up and it was already running at full speed so um again this is the one i'm looking forward to this is the one i think about you know when i'm not reading it that's noctera by image comics 
I did flip through it. It looked really cool. It is. It is. Yeah. There, there is no, uh, no question in my mind. Awesome, Matt. Speaking of things that you think about when you wake up, and the last thing to go through your brain when you go to bed, I have been living in Arrakis in my mind, and uh, I have not been able to shake it since my wife and I sat down and watched Dune uh, two weekends ago. Uh, in all honesty, how you doing? What's that? How you doing? How you doing? Uh, I, en- I enjoyed that quite a bit. Thank you, Gary. <laughs> yeah. So, as as many people already know, judging by the box office numbers and uh, what is still a pandemic and raptured uh, world, uh, it did okay for itself. Certainly enough for it to garner uh, uh, the need for a second film to come out here. And we mentioned that in the this month's previous episode where we talked about the, the Dune Drew coming out in 2023. Um, but in all honesty, uh, I know that Darren and I have talked about the book before, and I've probably brought the book up on, on previous episodes. The book is is arguably one of my favorite books, period. Um, regardless of genre, it's just a masterful book that's done. And when you consider that it was written in 1964 to begin with, I mean, that makes it somehow that makes it that much better. Um, the complete whole story there, uh, it's it's well-worn territory. I think we always that we think about that savior idea, and that's exactly what it does, but it just does it very, very well. And uh, the movie, which we know sometimes doesn't always live up to the book, um, this one absolutely did. And I thought they did a masterful job. And in terms of world creation and tone and tension, I thought that Dennis Villeneuve, who directed the movie, uh, will be directing the the second version of it as well, uh, just absolutely crushed it. And in all honesty, uh, we watched it one time full through. Uh, I was blown away. My wife was there in the room with me. She's not really a fan of it, but... We, I enjoyed it quite a bit to the point where I actually started watching it the following day and I'm watching it in little, uh, you know, 15, 20 minute intervals when I can ever get a little bit of time to myself to, to watch a little piece in there and there. And it's just, it's masterful. If you haven't seen it, please go out and see it. But that's what I'm stuck on. I just, I can't shake it at all. Mark. All right. Well, uh, my, my uh, pick for this year is uh, starting its second season very soon. I'm going with the 2020 revival of Animaniacs. Nice. And, uh, started in 1993 from executive producer Steven Spielberg and the new series, while the animation is more digital and less dimensional, the full symphonic orchestra is still there and the writing is sharper than ever. Original actors have returned to voice their parts. And I flew through the first season so fast and hard. I couldn't believe it. I, I want to go back and watch it again now. And I cannot wait for the new season to start in a couple weeks. That's that's my pick. Mark, are you thinking what I'm thinking? I think so, Gary, but we're going to find a chimp this time of night. <laughs> good. Good response. <laughs> right on. <laughs> that was a pretty good impression, too. Yeah, I'm tired. I could probably do better. Pretty solid. Uh, thanks, Phil. <laughs> All right. To... to... Put, put the icing on this cake. Uh, the Sayonara's for me, uh, nonstop Spider-Man. It ended out of the blue. I'm real bummed about it. Um, X-Men Onslaught Revelation, only threw it on here because I was talking a lot of Onslaught. It was a one-shot, as was Batman the Long Halloween one-shot, uh, which was interesting to read. X-Corp, which I believe has been canceled, and a temporary Sayonara to a... Uh, graphic novel uh stray dogs which there was a uh free comic book day 
version of it from the first issue, which drew me in, got the trade. It was so good, and they're supposedly making a second series. Not a kid's book. I'm sorry? No, not, no, 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 no. No, I, it was, um, I think it was a free comic book day preview or something we did. Uh, Darren noticed that there was a stray dog. So he's like, oh, yeah, this one's for the kids. But if it's not, I don't know anything about it. Don't blame me. Yeah, so not for the kids. Nope. About a murderer who takes people's dogs. Yeah. All right. Uh, my Sayonara uh, only has one thing on it. And for the last 12 issues, I have been threatening to drop this book. Um, but it's over, so I don't have to do that anymore. And I am saying goodbye to Commanders in Crisis. Um, it got better. After they went through character introductions and explained, you know, where they are and why they're there, it actually took off into a pretty decent book. Um, 12 issues, the series is over. Happy Trails, Commanders in Crisis by Image Comics. All right, I headed up this Man. section warning everybody that uh, I haven't been able to read many comic books. So these are going to be farewell to two TV shows that my wife and I watched re- and finished recently. And the first one is going to be, uh, it ended a little while back. But if you haven't taken the time to live in the Ted Lasso universe, I strongly recommend you do that. It is on Apple Plus. It stars Jason Sudeikis from Saturday Night Live and was an offshoot of a character that he had done for CBS for uh, the NFL, I believe. And so it turned into uh, a character. It got released and it's kind of in the same genre as like uh, Schitt's Creek or Parks and Rec, where it's just there's not people just aren't particularly mean or nasty. I mean, there's a couple of people in there, but they're kind of cartoonish and, and it's a real lighthearted, uh, easy watch. Uh, season two wrapped up not that long ago. So my wife and I were able to power through there and I really enjoyed watching season one. Uh, I believe for the third time uh, in in anticipation for season two, which my wife and I just finished. And then the other one that we just watched was on Netflix, and that's going to be Midnight Mass. So if you guys are familiar with... with the house on Haunted Hill. Am I I'm screwing these? The uh, Haunting on Hill House. Haunting at Hill House, yeah. And then what was the second one? The Blythe House? Blythe Manor. Blythe Manor, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I absolutely those... watched them too. <laughs> What's that? I absolutely watched all of those too. Yeah, so those are really interesting. Um, and it does give you a peek into what a world would be like if people only spoke in monologues. So um, it is kind of interesting. But no, it's really, really well done. Um, and and the, the how they portrayed what they portrayed. I don't want to ruin it for anybody because it's still pretty fresh, but how they portrayed what they portrayed, I thought was really, really witty. Uh, it pretty short run. I think it's only about seven episodes, maybe eight. I think it's only seven, but uh, pretty clean cut start to finish. Uh, certainly fascinating. Uh, a lot of, of uh, kind of in-depth studies of personalities and, and uh, interactions with each other. And I just thought it was pretty solid. Uh, not great. Probably won't ever watch it again, but in terms of like uh, being able to get through and, and kind of enjoying it, pretty good stuff. So uh, that's the other one that I can say Sayonara to. I think it's I think it's safe to say too, like religion warning, like it they take some some pokes at uh, religion and throwing your faith at things. Ah, I don't know what you're talking about. Right. So if if, you, if you're easily offended about religion, stay far far away from that. Well, it's titled Midnight Mass. I mean, if people didn't realize religion was going to be a strong overtone to it, they they don't know how to read. So, stronger than I thought. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. And, but that's kind of what I was getting at. So, I thought that the way that they brought up what they brought up was kind of interesting. Right. So, yeah. Very good stuff. Cool. Mark. 
All right. Well, uh, realized with my wife that we were two seasons behind on the Flash on CW, and we both mutually realized we really didn't care. So that's on my sayonara list because <laughs> I think it's just worn out. It's welcome. <laughs> oh, it's so bad. It's the not funny how that works together way. that brings you together as a, as a couple. I think that's important. Right. It, it is. Um, Second, uh, it, it's an older show that I just recently found and started watching, only six episodes, and it's a fond sayonara because it ended before its time. I started watching Jean-Claude Van Johnson, and that show is so delightfully bizarre. <laughs> I am so upset it only lasted six episodes. <laughs> yeah, we, we really enjoyed that one, so uh, worth checking it out. Uh, it's a pretty self-contained six-episode season, so... It just ends with a little bit of a weird cliffhanger. <laughs> I I just loved the whole concept of Van Damme making fun of and mocking himself for six episodes. <laughs> it was great. But uh, my big fond farewell and sayonara is uh, DuckTales ended earlier this year. I already talked about that before. And uh, Matt Youngerberg did a wonderful reboot uh, basing the animation on the old Disney Donald Duck comic books down to the point where some of the backgrounds even have point, you know, uh, little, what do you call it, moray dots in the backgrounds. <laughs> and, uh, all-star voice cast led by David Tennant as Uncle Scrooge. Uh, guest stars like Giancarlo Esposito as the Phantom Blot. Weird stuff like that. And just three seasons of a wonderful reboot that took everything I loved about the original Disney afternoon cartoon and just catapulted it to heights. I never imagined it could reach. It was done with such amazing love and affection for the original, but with a goal of not being afraid to change things when they worked better. And it's just that rare tightrope walk of something that is a reboot, but somehow blows the original out of the water. That's that's something we don't get a whole lot of these days. So, um, sad farewell I, I for that. Well. Really? Yeah, I I, I don't it, it, it I don't know. I want to say it was minimalist, but it, 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 again, I didn't watch an episode. I just saw the commercials and you know previews. It just seemed like you know that I don't want to say trend towards lazy animation. It, but, you know, it is it is the digital animation without the shading, the less robust like we were used to in the 90s, for sure. But uh, the animation art style does take a lot of inspiration from the old Carl Banks uh, Donald Buck comic books, which is fantastic, if you are familiar okay. with those like I am. So it does a lot of callbacks and references to not only the old 1930s and 40s comic books, but to the original series and many other things throughout the history of those characters. Fair enough. It, it's it's worth giving it an episode or two to see. I mean, my favorite change is that they made the nephews distinct personalities with distinct voices. And they play that to really good effect over the seasons. Horatio Sands, one of them? No. <laughs> no. Who am I thinking of? Bobby uh, Moynihan. Uh, Bobby Moynihan's one of them. Yeah. Bobby, okay, I'm sorry. Wow. Okay. Yeah, not, not Horatio Sands. <laughs> the other heavy guy. Yeah. All right. That's awesome. Okay. Obviously, lots and lots of stuff that we're doing, and I will do less. I, I promise. Promise less for sure. All right, Mark. Most anticipated moment of the evening. <laughs> oh, into my retroactive review, eh? Yes. Well, a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, or to be more specific, the spring of nineteen seventy-seven. 
little movie from George Lucas called Star Wars took the theaters by storm and redefined what Hollywood blockbuster meant. And the cash cow that was Star Wars spawned other ideas, such as CBS approaching George Lucas with the idea to make a holiday special. And Lucasfilm was originally going to be very involved in the production, but due to conflicts with trying to film The Empire Strikes Back, that went out the window, and the production company ended up running with it by themselves. And what we got is a spectacle for sure. Uh, to be clear, I've never seen the holiday special for Star Wars before. The Star Wars holiday special is spoken of and whispered in dark corners. Everyone knows about it. I don't know a lot of people that have actually watched it. So I took it upon myself with my wife joining me to watch it. <laughs> she subjected herself to this as well. And I have to say that for all the rumors I have heard, nothing prepared me for what I was going to see on screen. It is an interesting, to say the least, variety show blend. <laughs> it melds a string of live action sequences with one animated sequence. And it's apparently canon. <laughs> so, um, we start off with Chewbacca and Han Solo trying to reach the Wookiee homeworld of Kashyyyk for a celebration called Life Day, which is actually never really defined very well in the entire series or the entire show. All we know is it's kind of a Christmas analog analogous Christmas celebration type thing. And uh, we've got a bunch of reused footage from Star Wars and Han and Chewie in the cockpit talking. And uh, then we cut to Chewbacca's family back on Kashyyyk, consisting of his wife, Mala, his son, Lumpy, who is this big fluffball of a Wookiee child that makes the most annoying sounds I've ever heard and is all I can think in my head, headstrong, does whatever he wants, makes annoying sounds. He's pretty much the Wookiee Eric Cartman. And then we move oh, on geez. to Chewbacca's father, Lumpy. Oh, no, Lumpy was his son. His father is Itchy, I'm sorry, who is a big white thing that I swear if Agra had a love child with a Yeti, this is what it would look like. <laughs> Wow. And uh, I think it goes on for maybe 10 minutes or so of just Wookiee roaring and growling as they discuss Chewbacca not being there with no subtitles. So from the very beginning, it's really hard to relate to this special. <laughs> and from that point, it moves on and starts cutting to other things as they try to use view screens to try to find whereabouts of Chewbacca and Han and where they are and if they've been waylaid by the Empire. And we cut to... Luke Skywalker with so much pancake makeup on his face that Mark Hamill looks like David Bowie. And he tries his best to deliver something out of the script and it just, it goes over like a brick. And then they insert after that various comedic sequences. Um, we end up with a shopkeeper played by Art Carney of Honeymooners fame and an Imperial officer. And it just, I don't know how to describe the comedic elements just sort of drag on and try to repeatedly beat you over the head with the punchline as if you didn't get it the first six times. And I'm, I wonder how this, I would love to have sat in a story pitch meeting for this series. I mean, for this special, <laughs> but um, we cut back to the Wookiee family and 
Chewie's wife, Mala, starts walking, watching a cooking show with comedian Harvey Corman dressed in drag with forearms doing an alien Julia Childs impersonation. And uh, I can't even imagine in the late 70s this was funny. It, it's, again, it's just the, the comedy keeps going long past the point where they should have stopped the joke, and it's kind of hard to watch. We watched it in half-hour segments, and I'm really grateful for that decision. <laughs> Um, we end up with the shopkeeper bringing gifts to the family and, uh, Itchy gets a virtual reality chair where he starts having like fantasy hallucinations and, uh, of Diane Carroll and she starts singing a song and it gets kind of racy and it becomes a very awkward and family inappropriate at that juncture. <laughs> it's, um... I, I watching Chewie's old father get randy and creepy about a human woman is just really awkward and hard to watch. Um, yeah, then they cut to scenes of cramming in Leia and C-3PO and then back to Han and Chewie. Uh, the Empire shows up at Chewie's house looking for rebel activity and they trash the place and leads into more comedic sequences with Harvey Corman, including a scene where he shows Lumpy how to build a universal translator unit. <laughs> he plays a malfunctioning android, again, just milking the gag. Eventually, we end up in a scene on Tatooine at the cantina where we've got B. Arthur running the bar and trying to fend off the advances of an Amherst customer, again, played by Harvey Corman. And then it leads into a song and dance number. And then we end up with a big Wookiee holiday celebration after Chewie and Han finally arrive, which is so ill-defined where the Wookiees end up wearing red robes and marching off into a giant light. And then we end up in a big gathering and Carrie Fisher sings to us, which is honestly one of the highlights was she ain't bad. She could actually sing. I was very surprised. Um, I think I glossed over the most highly rated part of the special, which is the animated sequence, which introduces Boba Fett. And this gets a lot of high ratings and is generally one of the most well-received parts of the holiday special. I've got to admit, I don't really understand why, for the most part, the storyline of that section with the Falcon looking for a talisman that grants invisibility is kind of weird. Um the dialogue's awkward and stilted, and the animation looks like moving Mad Magazine caricatures. So I, I'm, I really didn't get the high praise for that part. I think people are just reacting to the fact that Boba Fett's in it, and that it was one of his first appearances. Um, I do find it interesting, my wife and I were talking about it, that the voice of Boba Fett in the animated section does sound a lot pitch and timber like um, Tamara Morrison without the accent. So I found it kind of funny that the voice sounds more like that without his accent than it does like Jeremy Bullock's and, or whoever voiced over Jeremy Bullock and Empire. So it's kind of interesting there that that ties back somehow, probably unintentionally. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, we end with a scene of uh, Chewie seeing montages of all his scenes in Star Wars as he thinks inside his head while Carrie Fisher sings that song, and then we go to credits. And I, I'm really 
I know variety shows were big in the 1970s, and I know the Star Wars cast made a lot of appearances on such shows like The Muppet Show, which the Mark Hamill episode is one of my all-time favorite Muppet Show episodes. But I just wonder how somebody came up with this, because it doesn't seem like it has anything to do with Star Wars. It doesn't seem like it has anything to do with Christmas through most of it. It, it's a very bizarre thing to call this a Star Wars holiday special and has very little to do with either. Except for shoehorning characters into a random variety show. So uh, I have to say this was my first experience watching the Star Wars holiday special. And if I'm lucky, I think it'll be my last. I watch it every year. As I said, I put it on in, in my classroom. My kids are horrified. They're, they, they, as they should be. They ignore it, and then they're trans. As I said, they're transfixed, and then they can't believe what what's happening. And then I like, how much longer does this go on? I'm like another like ninety minutes, you guys. Like that yeah. scene when you before Chewie returns home, when it's got his family. That's like ten minutes long. It's just them walking around the house and, and growling like, at each other. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> so. By the way, uh, just. For the record, you, you mentioned that it's apparently canon. It was its original intention was to bridge the gap between A New Hope and The Empire Strikes Back. That was the original intent. Yeah, I understand the uh, the whole Wookiee concept came from Lucas. Originally wanted Star Wars to start off with a Wookiee family telling the story of Star Wars to their children, and that didn't make it into the final movie. So he carried that over as part of the holiday special, and that he was very adamant that the Wookiee family had to be central to the story. Well, what would probably back up your uh, your claim there is, I am looking right at, and I remember seeing this, the prototype toys from Kenner from the holiday special. I'm looking right at um, Chewie's family, which literally, uh, it's Chewie with boobs, and then Chewie with gray hair, and then an Ewok. So there you go. <laughs> to get to yeah. your point though mark when you were talking about it feeling like a bit of a variety show i was reading a little bit about it and boy it's really really well rated on imdb and rotten tomatoes uh i'm pretty certain uh it said 2.2 on imdb and i, I didn't bother counting how many reviews there were that high, it, huh? solid 27 percent on rotten tomatoes <laughs> really I okay. gotta believe. I have to believe it has like an ironic number to it. Like there has to be an ironic enjoyment bump. Like people hate it so much they almost like it to a certain extent. Where there was some positive us. review bombing. Yeah. yeah oh yeah. Right. It's the exact well, opposite. Somebody going the opposite of the normal. <laughs> well, someone I, I, tell. I just... Someone tell Joss Whedon. He's got enough problems. He brought him on himself. But another another hit for this guy is that. His Justice League has a lower rating than the Star Wars Holiday Special on Rotten Tomatoes. I, uh, I, I, the whole time watching it, I kept remembering the interview with Harrison Ford. I think it was for Cowboys and Aliens, where he's asked if he's seen the Holiday Special, and his response is, "I don't need to see it. I was in it. I know how bad it was." Was that the one where he tried to choke out Conan O'Brien so he would get him to stop talking about the Star Wars Holiday Special? I don't think so. But yeah, I don't there was know. one where he leapt across Conan O'Brien's desk and he started choking him out. Because he's like, I have to ask you about the Star Wars Holiday Special. He just leaps across the desk. I need to look this up. Um, oh my God. It's, 
there, you were there saying is... about the variety show, and I just that's what I was looking at before. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but uh, apparently one of its comedy writers was Bruce Valanche, which if you guys watch the Academy Awards for what the, almost the entire 80s, 90s, and 21st century, I mean he was one of the head writers for that. So if it felt a little bit hacky and a little bit uh, overworn comedy jokes, maybe that's why. That oh, ex- so that would actually explain it a lot. A, that's a kind of what I was hacky. thinking. <laughs> It's it's a tough watch. It is hard. I mean, like I said, in half hour snippets, it was rough. I can't believe how long that thing is. I got it on DVD from our, our one of our former co-hosts, Tim, a long time ago, and we were gonna watch it. And he goes, "Oh no no no, you're on your own with this one." And I put it in, and I and, and like I was watching it, and I was watching that scene with the Wookies, and then I checked the time. I'm like, this goes on for almost two more hours. <laughs> how? It it's an just, hour and almost hour and forty minutes long. That's what it's yeah, the runtime of an hour and forty minutes, and yeah. we watched thirty minutes Friday night, thirty minutes Saturday, thirty minutes Sunday, and by the time I got done with it, I felt like my entire weekend was a, a draining wasteland. Oh, it, <laughs> this this thing does something to you, and it, it's like when I when I have it on in my classroom, it, it's it's at an angle where I can't actually see it if I don't need to. There, it's. I, I don't even know, like, I you did such a great job with this, Mark, because I could not formulate sentences around this thing. It's, it's, I know it's hard. And if you go back, I'm sure if I go back and listen to this, I can tell I was struggling for words a lot during this review. <laughs> you, you sit <laughs> because there, there aren't words, there's no English to describe this thing. Yeah, That's what the first review on IMDb says, is what did I right, Try it in Wookiee. <laughs> yeah, right. That's the best I can do. That's pretty good. Very good. It's better than any of his family did in the show. Whoa. Um, I do admit that because I'm a completist, there's part of me that really wants to find if someone reproduced the Kenner family to just like put that up on display, and someone eventually goes, "Are you kidding me?" I see. I'm looking at. They also have Chewie. They just took the vinyl robe. It looks like they took the robe from Obi-Wan, the vinyl, and just put it around Chewie for his Life Day costume. Well, yeah, and those robes were great because they're obviously hiding the fact that they had all of, like, three Wookiee costumes. Yeah. Because there's a horde of Wookiees, but it's just heads with Yeah, no, robes. those are, those are and just And they're masks. wearing, you can tell in some scenes, they're wearing real shoes. You can see it. <laughs> do, you suppose, <laughs> do you suppose this could be the reason why we got Ewoks instead of Wookiees in Return of the Jedi? Because, like, he really wanted to, the rumor's always been that he wanted to do a Wookiee planet. And then someone's like, dude, you tried this, and it was done, and this is what we ended up with. And he went, you know what? F it. We're going to go with smaller teddy bears. And, this and team... I find it crazy that it does carry forward, and it, the, canon, the canonical qualities of it are obviously there, because yeah. I was playing uh, Jedi Fallen Order a few weeks back before I finished that up. And the Kashyyyk levels, yeah, it looks a lot like the artwork that leads into scenes in that special. Yeah. <laughs> Well, didn't the didn't the Lego Christmas special also reference oh, this yeah. thing like a bunch? I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, it it did. It, it was it's funny. I wish there was other people that got that joke besides me. But uh, yeah, this is. I, I do want to wonder who had it worse um, for the Star Wars specials we've done and now the holiday special where I I read all one hundred and eight uh, Star Wars original Marvel comics. Over a three over whatever year period, and that that just got worse and worse and worse. Um, so I, I guess it's like you got to rip a band aid off 
But I, I was going through like lengthy physical therapy with that one. But I'll still say that, given the option, I'll read some more of those comics before going back on this holiday special. Oh yeah, and I have some of the old Star Wars Marvel comics. Th- those can be painful. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, I. Well, I said earlier that I read those comics, so you don't have to. Well, Mark just watched the holiday special, so you don't have to. The things I do for this show. Yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Like, even if we tried to find something worse than this, good luck. Okay, you've you've uh, made the challenge. The gauntlet is down for my next retro review. When I come up on the schedule, I'll find something. That's Glad worse than this. Is this going to be your angle? You're just going to find something. Yes, I'm only going to review awful things from the past. <laughs> this is. I like this angle, Mark. This is. I a, do. But I'll tell you what, though, if you're if you're trying to get progressively worse, I don't know if you started at the right place. <laughs> <laughs> it might not get progressively worse. We might have upticks. We'll we'll get a roller coaster. Yeah, like what could like whatever you review next, like whoever's next on retro, man, that's gonna seem like freaking, you know. Gone with the wind, like whatever it is. I think it's mean. It's, it's well. Actually, I believe last episode I mentioned the Dolph Lundgren Punisher movie in passing. <laughs> that, that is that's over quicker. <laughs> I don't think it's as bad either. No, I mean, <laughs> this is like you know you always hear it's so bad it's good, but this is one of those things that's so bad and then it starts approaching so bad it's good and then just light speeds right past that section to whatever uh, there this is this is obviously a new low an old low and a low that has not been achieved since it's it's funny because you look at it and you can see carrie fisher and mark hamill being fresher actors they're trying everything they're giving it everything they've got they're trying to put enthusiasm in it you can tell even at this point at like 35 36 years old harrison ford's like screw this i'm phoning it in yeah he was you can tell him <laughs> he was if you watch this mark's right watch that harrison ford looks like no one talk to me i'm saying this line and if anyone you're not getting a second take because i'm out that door <laughs> he looks so angry to be where he is and, and they're lucky they got him into that because, you know, he is notorious for not doing anything he doesn't want to do. <laughs> Man, he, uh, God. And that's where it started from, probably. I would wager that's true. Isn't there a Robot Chicken episode where it's like George Lucas at a therapist and he's talking about he had so he wanted so much hands-on control with projects in the future because he let them produce the holiday special without I think him? That's, isn't that actually true, though? That's that's probably true, but there, I, that's the reason I knew about it was there was like a robot chicken sketch about it. <laughs> man, oh man! I wouldn't, you know, and honestly, I I always wondered about that with the sequel trilogy, why he or the prequel trilogy, why he felt the need to do everything himself. And you know, watching that holiday special, it kind of makes some sense. <laughs> I know he tried everything he could in a pre-YouTube era to just bury this thing, and he was pretty successful, but. I think at this point he's like, well, there's nothing I can do about it now, man. <laughs> Wasn't there something that, like, uh, for her participation, I think it was the special editions or something, Carrie Fisher demanded a copy of it for her archives? Yes, I think that's true. <laughs> and I found a, I found a, uh, it, it, something that she used to put it on at her own parties. Yes. When she wanted people to go home. She's like, okay. <laughs> that's a powerful, powerful thing. That would sure get me out of the room. <laughs> 
I'll say though, I mean, it, it, it is what it is, but it's sure fun to talk about it. Oh yeah, I'm. You know what? I, I'm horrified. I can't believe I made it through the whole thing. I don't ever want to watch it again, but I'm glad I did for the experience that I now I know what this is all about and how horrible Star Wars can truly be. <laughs> Three out of five of his obsession. You me. You know, it's funny. He should have just put this out when people were getting real upset and real finicky about the prequel trilogy. He could have put this out and goes, well, this is what happens if I don't do it. <laughs> And then okay. all Star Wars fans crawl okay. in the corner and cry. You got us there, buddy. Jeez. All right. Well, thank you for enduring that, Mark. Um, My pleasure. Brings back <laughs> brings back painful memories. Oh man, you guys have anything to plug? No, we no. need to, we like, need to bail out. I think we we do for sure. Uh, remember, you can follow us on Instagram at Panel Scanners. Please give us some comments, some likes, some, you know, five-star ratings on that uh, Apple uh, podcast if you enjoy what you are hearing. So uh, next month, we're going to tackle our yearly end-of-the-year awards, giving out the things that we thought were our favorites (laughs) from this past year. And that will be fun, because it always is. So until next month, enjoy your comments. Happy holidays, everyone. Happy holidays.